Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a new programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and I'm an avid book lover. I also really love listening to authors tell their story and that's the reason for this new programme. In each show, I'll be chatting to some of your favourite authors, getting right inside their head to find out why they write, where they get their ideas from, what their writing journey has been like and what's next on their agenda. We'll also be updating you on books, news and events taking place around around the country. You can follow us on Twitter on Inside Books IRE or email us on insidebooks at uniquemedia.ie. Later in the programme, we'll be telling you about a new crime writing festival taking place in Dublin this month, featuring a great list of crime authors such as Cathy Rikes, Paula Hawkins, who wrote Stranger on a Train, as well as our own John Banville and Liz Nugent. But first, if you listen to Morning Ireland on RTE Radio 1, you'll be very familiar with the name and the voice of Rachel English. She's one of the main presenters of the programme alongside her colleagues, Carl Mochilla, Audrey Carvel and Gavin Jennings. However, many of you will also know her as an author. She has written three novels with the third one, The American Girl, just released recently. Born in England, but brought up in Shannon, she worked with her local radio station, Claire FM, for a number of years before moving to Dublin to work with RTE. And she's joining us now to talk about her writing journey. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you very much. Go back. Let's go back, first of all. And I suppose going back is actually quite a pun because your first novel was actually called Going Back in 2013. But as a child, were you a a reader? Gosh, I was. Yeah, I always read a lot. And growing up in in Shannon, as you mentioned, because it was a new town at that time, there wasn't a library or rather there was, but it was in a vacant flat. So they didn't have room for many books. And I remember as a child, maybe at the age of eight or nine, being genuinely worried that there wouldn't be enough books in the world. I thought that was all there was (laughs) and and that I'd run out of them pretty quickly. So, yes, I was. I, I did. I did read a lot as a child and I wrote quite a bit as well. Well, and then I got out of the habit. And you then pursued a career in journalism, though. So there was a connection there, was there? I suppose, yes. I suppose you're talking in both cases about working with words. And I had imagined when I was leaving school and going to college that maybe what I was more interested in was working in print. Um, And then when I left college, it turned out that just at that particular time with local radio starting up, it was easier or slightly easier to get a job in local radio. So that's that's what I ended up doing. But always at the back of my mind was the notion that one day I'd like to return to writing. Yeah. So when did it reemerge then? I think maybe you get to a certain stage in life and you realise if I don't give this a go now, I never will. And... Also, I realised that that a lot of, there were a number of reasons I was reluctant to write and that most of them were just excuses. You know, was it a confidence thing? I think, yeah, it was largely a confidence thing because, you know, when you read about writers and, and often we tend as journalists to focus on the people who get magnificent book deals at the age mm. of 22 having never you know worked a day in their life and uh, and then it all goes they go to college and they have a qualification in creative writing and it all goes fantastically well and they're just brilliant and you think gosh well I'm not one of those people yeah. and writing is for those people so so I won't do it and yeah you do you do get nervous about it I think as well if if you have if you have another job 
and I, and you kind of think, well, you know, I'm okay at this. You, you sort of get to a stage where you say, well, I should just stick to what I know. But it obviously manifested itself in such a way that you decided, right, I'm actually going to sit down and do this. Yeah, I had a couple of ideas. And also, I think around the time I started writing was during the absolute depths of the recession. And doing something like Morning Ireland every day was quite grim. Now, it was busy and it was a fascinating time to be a journalist. But there's also that in when every morning is just unrelenting bad news. I felt the need to, to when I had an idea that was really quite an escapist idea about young yeah. people on a J1 visa in the 1980s, I kind of thought, it was such a lovely escape at the time. It was so Total different. Contrast. So different from the day job. It was so that when the book came out, I remember people saying, oh, that wasn't the sort of thing I thought that you'd write at all because people expect you to write about politics or mm. economics or something because that's what the news was at the time. So it was very much an escape from the day job. And... In relation to the book then, did you have it written before you approached a publisher or an agent or did you approach them sort of halfway through? No, I I had it written. What I did was I wrote, oh, of the first draft, I wrote maybe about two thirds to three quarters of the book. And you don't know yourself whether it's utter junk or whether there's anything redeemable there at all. You, you just doesn't and matter you, how many books. did you show it to anybody in the meantime? I showed it to my mother and she she thought she liked it but then she's my mother you know she's <laughs> going to be biased. She's always going to say it's great. <laughs> yeah. So what I did was I, I through the Writers and Artists Handbook, which which many people will know, I um, got in touch with a woman in London who is like a manuscript doctor who will go through it and either tell you whether or not you're wasting your time or whether there's something there. And she came back to me and she was really enthusiastic. And of course, she pointed out about 500 things that were wrong with what I'd written. But she said, you know, if you go back and if you work on those, you know, just let me know how you get on. So I went back to her again when I was finished and um, she said like I really think you'll you'll be able to sell that and I I should say the great thing about her being in England was A she didn't really know very much about my Mm. day job so she wasn't going to be biased one way or another by that and the other thing was it was quite an Irish book so you want it was better in a way to have an English person reading it more objective yeah yeah. yeah. So um so she was quite quite enthusiastic about it. So I um so I tried to find an agent, which is what I did and, and he took it from there. Because I was going to say, I mean, were you concerned that a publisher or an agent would just take you on because you were Rachel English from RTE, you had a profile and that maybe they weren't as concerned about the writing. Did that worry you? No, because I don't think I think like you'd have to be at quite a level mm. of fame. Like you'd ha- you'd have to be like way beyond to present your Morning Ireland for somebody you for have somebody, a significant audience for, every for, morning for somebody to be willing to take a, a punt on your book I mean the, the thing is you know times are tight enough in publishing so I mm-hmm. think you know nobody is going to publish anything unless they reckon it's worth it you know Put it this way, if you were a YouTube star with five million followers, yes, I think they'd probably take you on, but not a Morning Ireland presenter. And include lots of pictures probably on that book, exactly. And, you know, you initially got a a, a two book deal with the first book. So was that pressurising? Yes, it was to a certain extent, but I was just, I was enjoying it so much. I, I And that's the thing that I completely underestimated. It is, writing is very addictive. And I was going to say even when it's going badly, but actually maybe more so when it's going badly, because because you become so determined to make it better that when you read back over something, you think, gosh, that's terrible rubbish. It's then that you really 
say, well, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to watch any television. I'm going to make focus. this better. I'm going to focus on this until it's worth reading. So it is quite addictive. So there, yeah, there is a certain amount of pressure involved, especially, you know, if, if you're doing another job as well. But, you know, as pressure goes, it's it's. You put it on yourself. Nearly. Yeah, 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 you do. You have to say that to yourself. I think sometimes nobody's forcing you to do this. Exactly. Just it's up. It's up to me. And I suppose with your other role with Morning Ireland, that's early mornings. You're up early in the morning. So does that give you a more natural writing routine in that you can devote the time in the afternoon to write? Yes and no. Sometimes yes. But mainly, to be honest, no, because <laughs> I, I'm coming home from work and my head Tired. is so frazzled. And it's, you know, my, my head is filled with... Brexit or Donald Trump or Irish water or whatever. And it can be very hard then to to clear your mind in a way that you need to to sit down and do something completely different. I tend to write on the days when I'm not doing Morning Ireland. I'm very fortunate in that at the moment I'm doing Morning Ireland part time. So I do have time to write. And I I know I'm I'm very lucky Mm -hmm. to have that. And I really admire people who work full time and then come home and get stuck into the writing because I, I've done that and it is it is tough, tough enough. Yeah, especially trying to trying to keep all the balls in the air. So on a day when you are writing, do you do a nine to five or how do you work it? No, I tend to do a burst in the morning, a burst in the afternoon, maybe say a couple of hours in the morning, maybe three hours in the afternoon and then maybe go back over stuff a little bit in the evening. But I wouldn't do eight solid hours and I'm also... I'm lost in envy for people who manage to write three or four thousand words a day. I couldn't do that. I just couldn't. A thousand, fifteen hundred words, plenty for me. Yeah, and you're happy. You're happy with that. And I suppose, you know, you work in radio, which is about talking and and communicating from a verbal perspective, whereas, as you say, your other job is is writing with printed word. But with radio, it's such a deadline-driven world. You are on the clock every morning with with Morning Ireland. So does that deadline aspect that's part of your heart and soul on a day-to-day basis, does that translate then when it comes to writing? You, You impose deadlines and you get things done. It does to a certain extent. And I've heard it said by other people in publishing that they quite like journalists as writers not because the work is any better it may well be worse but because you're so accustomed to dealing with deadlines if you're doing Morning Ireland 7am is 7am you can't say but we'll be ready to start at 5 past exactly. you know, it doesn't need work coffee. like that yeah <laughs> and the same if, if you're a newspaper journalist and you're told listen you have to have the story tomorrow um, there's no messing around and, and I suppose now more so than ever when everything is online and we need it now and you know we have to to have that before the next hour or whatever. So there is, yes, I think that does translate mm-hmm. into the rest of your life that you are very, we'll get it done and it mightn't be perfect, but we'll go back over it afterwards. And take it from there. And interestingly, all of your novels actually deal with, I suppose, at the times they were published, quite contemporary issues, you know, emigration, sort of the recession, uh, the adoption scenario and all of that, that that's been going on recently with mothers and babies homes. So do you think your, your day life, again, does impact on your on your idea generation? Mm, the story with the current book, The American Girl, and, and which starts with a young American girl being sent to a mother and baby home. For most of the time that I was writing it, they weren't in the news. It wasn't a story that was particularly topical. It sort of bursts every now and again. But it was a story that I had been conscious of for very many years, going back to 
the mid 90s, really the first time I interviewed um, a number of women who'd been born in the Bessborough home in Cork and who were trying to trace their birth mothers mm-hmm. and who felt that every attempt they made was being stymied. So I'd always had that interest. And then obviously, shortly before the book came out, the whole question of mother and baby homes and of how women were treated and children were treated. Well, you know, I think when we're talking about Tume and the mother and baby home there, it's perhaps one of those rare stories where it is fair to say that the nation became convulsed by it Mm -hmm. because people did. And I feel that just about so many stories now are, are kind of viewed through that prism mm-hmm. as well that I think it, it, I think the, the tomb story is a story that people really did take to heart and people feel very emotional about and there is an element of people saying gosh did we really do that mm-hmm. did we really think that that was an acceptable way to behave and you obviously had to do a lot of research for that book as well so from an emotional perspective it must have been probably quite difficult I, I actually find it very hard to, to read some of that stuff without getting emotional so, some of just simple things like if you go online and y- you look up say an adoption message board and you see people's desperation mm-hmm. to either track a birth pair or to try and find a child they were forced to give up for adoption. Um, It is very hard to read that without it affecting you. And I know from talking to people, to journalists who spent a lot of time focusing on this area, they say that they find it very hard to let go, more so than many other things because the stories are so raw and it's also so recent. It's not it's not something that that happened hundreds of years ago. Mm -hmm. This is we're talking about people's parents and their grandparents. It's it's every family, every village, every town has a story. And that was book number three, which is on the shelves now at the moment. So you're currently writing book number four. I am. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's the thing is, gosh, as of today, not well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm hoping that if you asked in a week's time, I might I might be able we'll to give you a different answer. I might be able to give you a different answer. Um, I got a red back. I read back over uh, a chapter last night and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to change all of that. And there's a deadline and everything. But I just thought, no, this, this just isn't good enough. And can you give us a clue as to the topic this time? It's the story of, it starts in the early 1980s, in the big snow of 1982. Mm-hmm. I remember um, as well. Yeah, and a lot of people do. And it's amazing, actually, how many photographs of it I've been able to find yeah. online. The, loads the, at home. The, yeah. the, 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 the people were fascinated by because we don't often get snow like that. And what happens is there's a party in a house. It's in rural Ireland. It's It's in County Clare and while that's happening there are four teenagers uh, in the shed at the back of the house having a sneaky cigarette and a drink they've stolen from the party and then something happens at Mm -hmm. the party and one of the teenagers may or may not have witnessed what happens and over many years they're always drawn together by that night, even though their lives go off in many different mm-hmm. directions. So it goes from the early 80s pretty much up until the present day. And when will that be out? Next year, <laughs> I hope. Fingers crossed if I get my act together. If you can get back home today and get the uh, get the next chapter done. And then just uh, one question actually I wanted to ask you is, you know, generally you seem to come across as quite a private person. So is the publicising of a book, how do you find that? Is that difficult or...? I find it slightly strange in that I'm so accustomed to being on the other side of things. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is slightly strange. And, I, you know, I, I'm I'm journalist. I'm, I'm more accustomed 
to asking the questions but it's a thing I've had to get used to and funnily enough it does become easier. With this book I found that I've enjoyed the whole process far more th- than I did with the first two books. Why I wonder? I know maybe I've just relaxed yeah, more. Possibly. And possibly more confidence in, in y- you, yeah, you have two bestsellers already under your there belt. There is a chance also that maybe I'm more confident in this book too mm. that, that I kind of as you go along you I don't think and I think most writers are the same that you're ever going to write a book that you say well that is just fantastic I mean there are always things you look at and think well, I could have changed this I could have changed that if I was doing it now I'd do such and such a chapter better but I suppose I feel slightly more confident about the book. And also, I did have to give myself a talking to in advance. And also, you have to remind yourself that, you know, lots of people bring out books and they find it hard to get, you know, a paragraph in their local paper. And I'm very fortunate Mm -hmm. that, you know, I have had people interested in the books that I've written. And also, as a friend of mine says, like, you have to remember, too, that lots of people bring out books and you know, they're not, they don't receive prominence in bookshops or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if your book does, there is an obligation on you to go out there and let people know about that. Absolutely. And you've spent so long as well crafting it. Um, you need to let it off out in, into the world and see how it how it performs. Well, listen, we better let you go home and uh, rework that chapter now before the publisher is chasing <laughs> us. very much. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Rachel's latest book, The American Girl, as you said, is in all good bookshops now. And Rachel English, thank you for joining us on Inside Books. Thank you so much. Follow us on Twitter on Inside Books IRE or email us on insidebooks at uniquemedia.ie. Well, if you're a crime fiction addict, you're going to love this. It's a new crime writing festival called Dead in Dunleary, taking place in, you've guessed it, Dunleary in Dublin on Saturday the 22nd of July. Now, it's the brainchild of the publishing company Penguin Random House Ireland and features a really great lineup of both international bestsellers as well as some of our own really great homegrown writing, crime writing talent. The event consists of a number of talks taking place over the course of the day. And here to tell us more is Fiona Murphy from Penguin Random House Ireland. So firstly, Fiona, why did you decide to launch a new crime writing festival? Um, Well, we found, as well as having a really brilliant list of crime writing authors on the Penguin Random House Ireland lists, um, also we've seen that over the years sales of crime writing fiction crime fiction have just gone up exponentially um, so there's a massive appetite out there for it and in the UK there are several crime writing festivals happening throughout the year whereas in Ireland there isn't really a dedicated Irish crime writing festival so far so we wanted to kind of tap into what we see as a big market and also at this time of in July, this time of year, every year is Harrogate Crime Writing Festival, which is probably the biggest crime writing festival in the UK. So it was a great opportunity for us to take advantage of the fact that some big stars in international crime writing are actually going to be next door in the UK and it was a great chance to just kind of pop them on a plane get them to Dublin which is and, brilliant uh, introduce them yeah to their you know they have some serious fans here so and who's on the lineup then well we have uh, we have a brilliant mix actually of kind of international names and then Irish crime writing talent so our our, our headline our headliner events are Paula Hawkins, who is the author of The Girl on the Train, which is just, you know, the biggest Absolutely. selling book um, of any genre for the last couple of years, actually. And, you know, the movie came out last year and was, uh, you know, just it has gone on and on and on. And, um, and her latest one is Her on latest now. one is just out, Into the Water, which is kind of a departure for her I think it was a really brave second novel because there's huge pressure on authors to kind of and I think a lot of people think 
I'll do what I did the last time. It's a formula that works. But actually, she's written a far more ambitious novel this time with 11 different narrators. And um, it's a really thrilling, brilliant read. So Paula is coming over and she hasn't been over for a couple of years. So I think a lot of people who are huge fans of Girl on the Train are going to want to meet her. And then our other international name is Kathy Rikes, who is a huge best-selling author from the US. And... Um, so she'd be best known then. Her novels feature Temperance Brennan, isn't it? Yes, that it? yes. So the Temperance Brennan series, um, she has written 17 of them. They've all been bestsellers in the US and in the UK and Ireland. And this, she's actually coming over to launch a new series. Um, so she's int- introducing a new character called Sunny Knight. Um, so it's a great chance to kind of meet Cathy talking about what will be the first in a new series of novels. And it'll be interesting to see why she has moved on to sort of a new, a new protagonist. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think Temperance Brennan um, very much focused on the forensic anthropology side of crime novels because that is Cathy's background. She's a forensic anthropologist, one of very few in the US. And um, those novels were very much based on her own experience working in the field of crime, I suppose, in in general. Um, Whereas this new series, Sunny Night, is not a medical, she's not a medical practitioner. She is a kind of a a much more normal woman that we could all identify with. So, so that's a, a departure yeah. for her. Yes. And then as well as that, we've also got the Irish favourites. We've John Banville and Stuart Neville. And interestingly, what they're going to talk about is what it's like to write under their pen names. Yeah. Because they both use different names. John Banville is Benjamin Black and Stuart Neville now has his new pen name, Halen Beck. Halen Beck, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this event. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, I mean, every I think people, a lot of people are familiar with John Banville's um, Benjamin Black series because he's written quite a few of them at this point. This is a departure for him in the sense that Prague Nights, the new book, it takes place in Prague, so outside of Dublin for the first time in, in, in several books. And and Stuart Neville is will be known and quite well known for his Northern Irish series of, of novels. Right. Uh, Serena Flanagan is his main detective, but he also wrote a couple of novels at the beginning. Um, the Twelve, his first novel, is probably still his most famous, um, which dealt with kind of a an IRA hard man who was haunted by the ghosts of people he killed during his time uh, as in the IRA. And this is completely different. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of in, it's an absolutely brilliant American and it, thriller. It'd um, be interesting then to hear why he decided as exactly you know, new yeah, series. New yeah. Well, I think part of part of changing the name was to because the book is such a departure from what he does already. So mm-hmm. not to confuse fans. And then just finally on the lineup, we've Liz Nugent, who is the author of Unraveling Oliver and mm-hmm. Lying in Wait, and she's going to be chatting to Paul Perry and Karen Galise. Now they're better known as Karen, Karen Perry. Perry. Yeah, uh, they write <laughs> under the name Karen Perry, and they're talking about the challenges of getting inside the head of a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. No better people to do it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Liz has just, her career has taken off in the last couple of years and she's just back from a trip to the US where she's being hailed as the new Patricia Highsmith. So it's really exciting wow. to kind of hear how things have been going for her. And then Karen and Paul as well. It, it, what's so interesting is how they actually manage to write a novel Together. as a duo. Yes. Yeah. So, listen, sounds really exciting. Uh, looking forward to going along. So where can people get tickets? So you can get tickets from the Pavilion Theatre website in Dunleary. Um, all the events are listed. You can book them separately. Or and they're on across the day, isn't They're on right? across the day. So the first one starts at 11, 1.30, 4 and 6.30. Um, so you can buy tickets to just one or two or if you're going to all four, there is a discount where you get all four tickets for €40. Euro. And we'd love to see people there for the day. And are you hoping to make it an annual event? Very much so. Yeah, I think there's a ma- massive appetite and we've got 
a great list of authors. There's plenty more we'd love to bring over next year and, and going forward. Great. Fiona Murphy from Penguin Random House Ireland. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Now, if you want to get in touch, just email us on insidebooks at uniquemedia.ie. Our next episode will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at insidebooks.ie. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.